Hello and welcome to this episode of the ESG Transformation Series. This is a podcast where we talk about all things ESG and all things finance. My name is Dhananjay Chak and I'm a senior lawyer with the Herbert Smith Freehills Energy Infrastructure and Natural Resources team in London. And I am joined once again by Will Breeze, a partner in my team. Welcome, Will, to the podcast. Thanks very much, DJ. And I'm also joined by Helen Beatty. Welcome, Helen, to this episode of the podcast. Thanks, DJ. Delighted to be joining. For those of you who haven't met Helen, Helen, do you want to give a little bit of an introduction for yourself? Hi, I'm first time on your podcast, DJ. Um, I'm Helen Beatty. I'm a finance partner in our energy infrastructure and natural resources team. And I'm here today um, to talk about extractives um, from a mining perspective. Fantastic. And all of you already met, met Will on a previous episode of this podcast. And if you haven't heard that, please go back and listen to it. It is a really, really interesting episode and we'll put a link in the show notes. But we are here to talk all things ESG, all things extractives. But Will, I'm going to come to you first. Now, let's deal with the hard question. The public perception is that extractives is a dirty sector. Is that an unfair assessment? And if so, why would you say it's unfair? Thanks, DJ. And it's a really good question. Yes, extractives do produce uh, emissions of various sorts. And I'll focus on, on hydrocarbons and oil and gas. There's methane, there's CO2, things aren't perfect. However, if you assume that we need hydrocarbons, we need to keep the lights on and, and of course, produce a great, else, a great deal else besides. And if you want to ensure a just energy transition for all, we still need oil and gas. Renewables don't yet fill the energy gap. So we've got to have oil and gas production. The question then is, is there room for improvement? The answer there is yes, absolutely. And ESG related loans can help guide that. We do need oil and gas. Let's produce that in the best way possible. And not just environmentally, but on social basis and on governance grounds as well. And Helen, I imagine things are very similar in the mining world. Yes, that's right. I mean, mining has been considered sort of dirty and somewhat evil um, throughout the 90s and early 2000s um, and due to sort of the focus on um, investment performance and lack of focus on local communities' environmental impacts. But I guess what we are seeing with the energy transition is the focus on the need that we actually need these minerals to facilitate the energy transition. We need iron ore because we need steel to build wind turbines and we need things like lithium because we need batteries for our electric cars. So it's going to be an essential part of the energy transition. But what I'll say about mining is because it had such a bad rap in the 90s and early 2000s, um, we're actually ahead of some of the other industries. We saw um, you know, negative press and, and, and environmental and social issues throughout that period, which led to the adoption, for example, of the equator principles and the development of the IFC environmental and social performance standards in the early 2000s, which has made a significant impact to the industry and ensure that the focus on on mining projects and you know not all mining projects but uh, you know the stats are quite high for responsible investors and financiers they've facilitated environmental studies social studies and minimum environmental and social requirements which we've seen had a massive impact on projects in the sector um, including um, in emerging markets and the influence that has had on social license and local communities that's super interesting so Will, I'm going to come back to you on this one. In 
you've obviously been involved with quite a lot of uh, recent transactions which have had ESG provisions, etc. What are we seeing in terms of current trends in the market, both in terms of documentation as well as points that are being negotiated? First of all, TJ, I echo Helen's comment that the extractives industry has not come into ESG matters completely new in the last few years. As Helen said, you've had the equator principles, which have been around since 2003, project finance, and, and have broadened out and developed further thereafter. The IFC performance standards, uh, corporate's own requirements for listed companies, shareholders, and, and of course, non-governmental organizations monitoring what they do, governments, uh, the social license to operate. There are a lot of factors already focusing. And so this takes us, I think, to, to what is best performance. Documentation-wise, the Loan Market Association, the Asia-Pacific Loan Market Association, and their American brother, the, the LSTA, American sibling, the LSTA, um, have produced um, the Green Loan Principles, which are probably a bit less applicable for oil and gas, certainly, because uh, ultimately it is not purely green. It can improve a lot, but it is not green de facto. But you've also got the Sustainability Link Loan Principles, which uh, I think are a far more useful tool in the extractives industry. And they're saying, is what a business is doing, uh, is what a project is doing sustainable? And if it's making improvements and if it's it's doing better, then yes, it is on a path to sustainability there. Um, so I think documentation-wise, you've got those frameworks, but of course, no one deal is the same as any other deal. No one company is the same as any other company. Things are a lot more bespoke than, than you might think. It's, there's, there's certainly no case of following a standard form. So there's good framework there, but every deal is different. Negotiation points um, focus around, among other things, sustainability performance targets. So what targets are you setting a borrower? And to assess those, you have key performance indicators, the vaunted KPIs. And again, they are going to be bespoke to every deal, every project. Uh, you can't just say you will reduce your emissions to a certain level or you will ensure a, a certain gender balance on your board by a certain date. It's got to be bespoke. Uh, to every single deal, every single project, every single borrower. And that's certainly that's what we've been seeing in the oil and gas sector. Helen, are things similar in mining? The um, concept of green bonds and sustainability linked loans has a bit, been a bit slower to come to the mining sector than oil and gas. For green loans for the, for the same reason that you've said. Um, and I think just given the nature of the lenders in the mining market, we haven't seen as many sustainability linked loans. One of the things that I think will be interesting um, and is what miners will do in the future to, to look at greening their projects. And there's great opportunities. And a lot of our clients are interested in, for example, how would you combine a renewables project as the power source for a mine? Could you add on a green tranche to your existing project financing to pay for um, the development and capex in respect of a a co-located solar park or a co-located wind farm. So there's certainly lots of opportunities for miners to access these this sort of capital, this sort of sort of green and sustainable linked capital, um, to make improvements to mining projects. Oh, that that's that's really interesting. I hadn't actually thought of that. That you'd you'd link a mining project with a green project. That's that's very interesting. But obviously, we've talked about the opportunities in in the mining area. Will what do our clients need to think about? What, what's coming next? What are the opportunities and what, in your view, are going to be the challenges for the extractive sector? 
So the opportunities, obviously, Helen has already outlined some, the idea of, of having a green tranche to your loan in order to have a, a co-located solar plant, for example. Um, and the same principle broadly applies to oil and gas projects. So whether that's uh, generating electricity via renewables, so putting windmills on a rig, for example, um, there are steps that can be taken there. Um, I think one big opportunity, uh, and this is a point I will come back to, is both educating the public as to the scope for ESG-related financing to be used in the extractives industry, and also to a degree educating the finance world um, for corporates to remind their bankers that corporates still need funds, the returns are very good, but also loans can be made to do good uh, as, as well as get good returns. And I think that's a really important point. That also, of course, leads to a key challenge. It's very easy to withdraw from a sector if public opinion doesn't approve of it, um, and if a board makes a decision that, you know what, this isn't the right sector for us. And that's going to be a challenge for those businesses who are operating in the extractive worlds and who are keeping the lights on, who are providing power, who are providing the, the components that go into batteries. Um, anybody who's doing that sort of thing still needs finance. Uh, and I think the challenge is going to be getting finance from, from sources who will look to provide ESG-related loans and to steer businesses in the right direction, because otherwise capital come, will come from sources who, who don't care so much about that sort of thing. And that, of course, is in nobody's interest. Helen, anything to add from the mining perspective in terms um, of challenges? I think there, there are so many, I'll start with opportunities. There are so many opportunities um, in the mining sector across sort of the energy transition and broader ESG piece. I spoke about sort of social license um, earlier at the start and the development of sort of social license and social responsibility of mining companies. And I think this sort of ESG wave is giving further credence to that and it really allows investors and mining companies to distinguish themselves and to be rewarded for, for that good sort of social behaviour from their investors and from their financiers. So I think it's got a fantastic um, encouragement for those entities. On a more concrete level, I think there are great opportunities when you've got not just mining companies, but you've got the whole world looking at ESG. You've got companies considering what are their scope one, two, and three emission requirements. And I think that's actually going to drive things. So from, from a mining company perspective, we've seen miners, both large-scale miners and, you know, smaller junior miners, looking at electrifications of their fleets. You know, should they go for hydrogen trucks? Is it electric trucks? And we've got some of our clients that have research programs with local universities looking to develop that technology. And there's a lot of R&D being developed in sort of the larger miners like Anglo and Rio and, and BHP. In addition, everyone will be looking um, at their scope two admissions. I spoke about um, the potential for captive renewables with mines, so captive solar or wind, but there's also the, the potential for miners to enter into virtual PPAs to, to extend their connected to the grid with renewables further away. So there's a lot they can do to improve their scope two emissions. And then we come on to the scope three emissions, which is the tricky one for, for everyone. But there is, but people are thinking about it, and now we're looking at sort of not all commodities and not all all products are equal. And there's sort of this massive green steel um, push at the moment, and so we're finding that some clients who have sort of higher quality iron ore, and by that I mean high iron content, their product 
may sell at a premium and their product will be very popular with off-takers because that allows to produce a greener form of steel, which will be really important going forward. You need steel. I think steel is about 80% of a wind turbine. And so we need all these things for the green transition. And so there are real opportunities for miners to sort of look at their products and look at how they can contribute in that sort of scope three sector to a sort of greener production line. Sounds incredibly exciting. Sounds like there's there's a lot of opportunity out there. There are a few challenges which are being worked towards. So I'm excited and uh, thank you for thank you for your views on that. Before we wrap, um, I'm going to ask you for one hot tip on the ESG finance front. Will, I'll come to you first on this one. You got you got something for us for our listeners? Uh, I'm going to go back to the point I made earlier, DJ. Advocate for your business. Advocate for it both with the public and with your financiers. Help your bankers and help them to help you. Use ESG as a finance as a tool to improve your business. Use ESG of finance as a tool to improve bankers' returns. And most of all, please keep the lights on. Everybody wins. Helen? I think I would echo Will in that there's a great opportunity for ESG at the moment. There's a lot of focus on it and, you know, enact the principles of ESG, look at your emissions, look at your social responsibility and actually promote it. Let people know what you're doing and actually drive best performance with the faith that it'll also not only help the world in general, but it will also help drive returns for your investors. It's about walking the talk, isn't it? There you have it, guys. That is the episode. It was a great chat with Will and Helen. Of course, do get in touch with any of us if you'd like to discuss further. And we will see you hopefully soon. Thanks very much. Thank you.